Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, helping you create something awesome today. Welcome back to the channel yet again, if you're here watching on YouTube live, and if you're in the audio-only podcast audience, thank you for tuning in again. Uh, we have a very interesting show. We're actually going to be talking about niching down and no more random content and why that actually matters when it comes to your social media strategy, growing an audience, and why it's going to make you a lot more successful and i know this is something that a lot of people are resistant to but i have to tell you this is something that actually works it's it's very practical and i know that for a lot of people the reason that they absolutely resist me and other people who tried to tell them hey you need to niche down you need to get focused hey maybe you don't make content for every single aspect of your personality like I know that that's frustrating because it's like, well, what about, what if I'm the niche or what if I want to be a personality driven creator? Those are exceptions, not the rule. And I know people doesn't, people really, really, really don't like to hear that, but I'm going to tell you the truth about it anyway, because it, it, it really does matter. It straight up matters. Cause here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's the truth. And I know like uh, people are like, get lost with that, or I don't care. Or, well, what about so-and-so? What about this creator? What about that creator? Here's the truth. Those people are anomalies and outliers. They are exceptions, not the rule. And here's the harsh truth. Since a lot of people don't want to hear it, here's the harsh truth. It is very hard to ask people to commit to you and your content when you're not committing to anything. If you're not going to be committed to something, why follow you? Why subscribe to you? Why invest in you if there's no consistency? If, if you're not going to be reliable or committed to something, if you're not going to be dedicated to something, why ask for dedication for an audience? Why ask an audience, you know, why ask an audience to commit to you if you're not going to be committed to something? So it comes back to the thing that we've also talked about with consistency. Consistency is not just frequency. You know, frequency is like doing something um, on a regular basis over and over again, doing volume, like that's frequency. Consistency and frequency can be somewhat interchangeable. But the thing is, consistency is more than just, you know, showing up Monday through Friday. Consistency is when you are putting something out, is your message across the board something that I can rely on that is going to resonate and is not going to be out of left field, wildly different every time? Am I getting what I signed up for? And this is something that drastically grows channels. And a lot of people don't believe this, but I've literally seen it be the difference between success and failure for creators. And I actually have a really great story about a very good friend of mine who almost gave up on all of their YouTube uh, ambitions, all their hopes and dreams after six years, but, but by niching down and narrowing their focus, they were able to become successful beyond all of their wildest dreams. 
okay? And that's like a real thing. And I'll tell you that story here in a second. But first, a word from our sponsor. We thrive thanks to the support from our sponsors. Here's a word from one of them. This podcast is done initially as a YouTube live stream, and the simplest solution for live streaming is my good friends over at StreamYard. StreamYard is a great tool for any live streamer because it allows you to simply bring in guests without them having to download any software. You can also do something like I do with the Create Something Awesome Today podcast and strip out the audio, not only from you, but every single one of your speakers if you're on the pro plan, and then you can edit that together, put out a great podcast, balance all those things out and you can stream to multiple platforms all at once we are streaming to facebook live instagram uh, sorry linkedin live uh youtube live and twitter all at the same time not instagram unfortunately at this time so if you want the simplest solution in live streaming make sure you're checking out Streamyard. you can go to robertoblake.com slash go slash stream and get one of the free plans or one of their affordable plans thank you for Streamyard sponsoring today's episode of the podcast. So yeah, when it comes to uh, niching down and just making consistent, reliable content, I know that the main reason that that can be frustrating to people is they're like, well, Roberta, what if I have multiple interests? Well, I mean, you might have multiple interests, you might have multiple skills, but does every career and every job let you use every single one of the skills or interests that you have? And the answer is no but you go ahead and you narrow your focus there because you need to get paid. You need to ultimately get paid. You need to make money. And sometimes focusing on, all right, you know what? I might be interested in all of these different things, but they ain't paying me. So where's your energy and where's your time go? Well, when you're prioritizing like, oh crap, I need to make money. When you're like, oh crap, I need to make money. The smart thing to do typically is to say, here's the thing that's making me money. So here's why it's a priority, because if money is my priority, the thing making me money is what I'm going to focus on, give my attention and my energy to and make it a bigger priority, even if it's not the thing I'm most interested in, not the thing I'm most passionate about. If I need money to be my focus at that stage in my life, then what I do is I focus on the thing generating the most money. I, I, I focus on money generating activities. I might cut out other things specifically to focus on that. What we're talking about here with your content is actually no different. It's no different. What I would tell you is if you wanna be a successful content creator and you've been making some random videos up until now, you could probably go into your analytics and say, gee, this video or this style of video or this topic is outperforming my other topics five to one or 10 to one. And the audience really resonates with it. Well, guess what? That's an easier, faster, more reliable path to success than making the other types of content. Even if you are more passionate about those other types of content, if you don't hate the content that's performing the best, it's clearly in your best interest to make the content that is performing the best and do that more consistently for a period of time, focus on that, and then watch your results improve. In the same way that if you said, you know what, I'm doing uh, three different things, but only one of them is making me a lot more money. And the difference is, well, this thing is making me 50% more money or 30% more money or 100% times more money, like twice as much money then what you would probably want to do is say, what if I cut out 
one of those two other things or both of those two other things replace the energy i put into them with the energy i put into this thing making me the most money and then all of a sudden you might double your money or you might triple your money because you took these other two things off your plate and you tripled down on the thing making you the most money it stands to reason that you'll make more money and a lot of people are very reluctant to do that and it's the same thing with their content if you decided that you were going to focus, if you said, well, I want more subscribers and you identified the videos that made you, got you the most subscribers on YouTube and you said, okay, you know what? I'm going to cut other topics for like the next 90 days. And for the next 90 days, all I'm going to do is make more content that's very similar to the thing that grew my subscribers the most in the last 90 days. I wouldn't be shocked that what happens is your subscriber count starts going up and up and up and up. So like, that's the thing that would make the most sense. If you said, you know what, I want um, videos that get more views per upload. You can clearly see, if you see that there's three times as many views, twice as many views, 10 times as many views on a certain type of content that you've been making over the last year, and you say, you know what, what if I just focused on making more of that? and you did nothing but that for like three months, six months, 12 months, it wouldn't be shocked if all of a sudden you're starting to get more views on every upload uh, versus when you deviate from doing that topic or that style of video or making content for that particular niche or audience. It wouldn't shock me at all. It wouldn't shock me at all. And it wouldn't shock any of you all too. So, you know, it's something that we really need to think about. So we have a super chat here from uh, Mr. Robert Henry, the poet, $10 super chat. Thank you. He says his Instagram was hacked, lost access to it, maybe for good because the email got deleted from the account. Should I focus on YouTube and just make another Instagram after I built a bunch more content? So that's rough and that really sucks, Robert. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, maybe you try to go through support and get it back in some way, shape, or form. But if it's a lost cause, uh, maybe you do make um, a YouTube channel, a TikTok, and then maybe you make an Instagram later. But in general, learn from this and try to make sure you're doing everything possible to secure your accounts and just make them, um, you know, just as secure as you possibly can. Uh, but you know, that really is unfortunate. Uh, and I'm sorry to hear that Robert. So that sucks. Let's see. Yeah, for faster growth, I, I agree. Um, TikTok could definitely be potential, you know, faster growth. Uh, Ron says, you're 100% right, my man, but the issue is that the thing or things that work, people don't like to do, and they'd rather do the two other things. Well, the thing is, I don't think you should be doing something you dislike. I think that the problem here is that people want to do the thing that they like more, even when it's producing less results. And the thing is, if you're doing this as a hobby, that's fine. What I'm speaking to is doing content with, and you said to yourself, I want to be a full-time content creator. I want to be a full-time Twitch streamer. I want to be a full-time YouTuber. I want to be a full-time content creator. I want to do TikTok. I want to do YouTube. I want to do Twitch. I want to do podcasts, whatever it is. If you said you want to do this as a career, if you want to do this as a career, doing the thing that's the most fun is not the move. If you want to do this as a hobby that you make a few extra bucks on, have at it, Hoss. Just go do the thing that's the most fun, 
the most enjoyable, that you're the most passionate about? A hundred percent. And then never, ever, ever, ever complain about not growing. As long as people will never say, I wish I could be bigger or why am I not growing? You can make random content or make whatever you like to your heart's content. If you don't ever say, I wish I was growing more. I wish I was growing faster. I wish I was making more money doing this. As long as you're never going to utter those words out of your mouth, you can make random content. You can do as many varieties of content. You can do whatever you like. You can do what's the most fun and like, God bless you for it. As long as you never, ever say, I wish I was growing faster. Why am I not growing? Why am I still small? Or, gee, I wish I was making more money. Because at that point, you're doing this for fun. You're not doing it as a career. If you're doing it as a career, if you're doing something as a career, I hate to break it to you, but if you're doing something as a career, it's not that you need to hate it, and it's not that you need to remove all enjoyment from it. It's that being the most passionate thing that you could be doing or being so emotionally invested in it is a secondary consideration. In some cases, it's even a bad idea. In some cases, it's even a bad idea. You should decide whether or not you're in this for passion and a hobby that you can justify by breaking even on it, or whether this is a full-time career that you're pursuing that you're going to take very, very seriously and that you're going to do regardless of how you feel. Because the thing is, if you go and you have a career and you're a doctor or a lawyer, you being passionate about it isn't relevant. Because people are relying on you to do that thing or you made a commitment or you went into debt to go to school and get that degree and that's, that's what it is now. Until you retire or unless you're willing to walk away from your career and your money and start your life over, right? You know that once you commit down that path, so why would you not take being a content creator as seriously as that? You want to be respected in the same way as traditional career careers. You have to be willing to make a serious a commitment to your content creation, your content career. I think people need to just give this thing their same respect. And But part of doing that is we as creators will have to give it the same respect ourselves if we're asking other people to do that, right? We have to commit and we have to take it seriously. I have to say, well, this is a career. It's not all fun and games. I'm not always going to want to do it. I'm not always going to want to do it, uh, do the same way, but you do need to do what's working until or unless you're in a very luxurious situation of saying, you know what? I don't care about the money. I don't care about the growth, the optics or my brand or whatever. Um, I just want to have fun. If you are in the position to where you can spend hours and hours and hours a week doing something for fun with no results, that's called a hobby. That's not called a career. If you can do something and put hours and hours of it, of work into it, invest hundreds or thousands of dollars into it and do that and not see a return, that's not a career. That's a hobby. In my opinion, <laughs> from my point of view, from my point of view. So here's my caveat, though. If you want to have an experimental phase of being a creator, that's where at the beginning of your career, I'm fine with you making 100 crappy videos, 100 videos of whatever makes you happy, whatever you want, whatever makes you happy, whatever you can use to practice and learn and cut your teeth. 
Get those random videos out of your system. Take either your first year on a platform, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or whatever it is, or Twitch. Take the first year on your platform to play around if you don't have anxiety about how fast you're going to grow, take the first year or the first 100 uploads and play around, screw around with it, have fun with it, make random stuff, see what you like, see what performs, get it out of your system. But after that, and you had year one of saying, okay, I'm going to taste this. I'm not going to pick a major here. I'm not going to pick a career field here. After that, you have to decide, am I in this for real and am I, am I still playing around? Am I going to do this for real and start my career or is this something that I'm just going to do for fun? In my opinion, that's what, it's, what it is is because there's nothing wrong with doing this for fun. There's nothing wrong with being a hobby creator. But you have to be honest with yourself and with the audience as to whether or not this is for fun or if this is for real. Is this for fun or is this for real? Is this something you're doing to enjoy yourself? Or is this something that you're committing to and taking seriously and you want to be taken seriously for? Because then you're playing very, very different games. You're playing very, very different games. So when I talk about niching down, what I'm talking about is focus. I'm talking about focus, man. I'm talking about being focused. So... For me, it's not just down to a topic, it's down to an audience. It's down to who am I making content for? Who am I making content for? And that is what niching down really is about. It's less about the topic and more about who would enjoy this topic. And therein lies the real difference. And this is something that people don't understand. They think, okay, well, am I never allowed to talk about whatever I want or something else? Or what if I get bored? And your answer for that is, well, you could have more than one platform. And if you need so much, if you're very desperate to express yourself in a different way that doesn't fit with what the audience is used to, you got a couple of choices. You can go to your other platforms and express that. Like if you have a YouTube channel, you can express your other stuff on your Twitter or your Instagram. And then you have a place to put it. You have a place to vent. You have a place to put it. Or you could go, okay, I'm going to do this one thing on YouTube, but then I'm going to do streaming with my audience, maybe on another channel or on Twitch and talk about whatever I want. And so that makes more sense because then you're not infringing on fans who signed up for one thing and then baiting and switching them and say, Hey, you signed up for one thing, but here's another, like that, that doesn't make as much sense. Now there are types of content that lend themselves to some level of variety under the same umbrella that are interrelated or are culturally related. But again, that's where it comes down to. You have to understand that you're picking an audience more than you're picking a category. You're choosing an audience, a demographic, a culture, a community instead of a category. Choosing a community to niche down into is not the same thing as choosing a category to niche down into. So like that's the real confusion, I think, for a lot of people. And also, I think people just resent having limits or constraints when those limits and those constraints actually just help you set priorities and help you say, okay, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this. It makes your content planning a lot easier. It makes planning a lot easier for one thing. It makes planning easier. It makes identifying sponsor relationships easier. It makes identifying collaborations easier. It makes 
um, prioritizing your systems and how you're, what you're going to buy to invest in your channel. It makes it a lot easier to kind of narrow in on a community that you are going to make that content for. So CleverTax says niching down gets confusing sometimes. Like my niche is already sort of small and has a huge diverse industry. So niching down can limit opportunities. Like Clover, in your case with the um, uh, firearm safety niche, you don't have to go more and more narrow. Like people think they have to go more and more narrow. And the thing is, I'll tell you a difference. You can niche down into a community but then in terms of uniqueness, because I know the problem is what I want to be unique. I want to be special. It's like do something that is that you're going to be known for in that community. You can you can niche down into a community and say, hey, I'm part of this community. I'm part of this culture. I am down with this group of people. But then you can say, and here's how I'm going to stand out in that group. And that's what's going to like you niche down. You stand out. You step up, and that's why you would blow up, okay? So it's niche down, stand out, step up, blow up, okay? So you get down to, okay, I'm going down into this community, and here's the thing I'm going to do to stand out that's going to lead to me being the big fish in this pond, okay? Like, that's the key, is I go in here, and now I'm here, and then is there anybody here that's going to do what I'm going to do? And the answer is nah. The answer is nope. I'm going to stand out by going here and doing this thing, X, Y, Z. And then, oh, I did X, Y, Z, and it resonated with people? Okay, I'm going to now raise the bar in my niche and step up above so like okay i went here then i stood out and became known for something and then i raised the bar and changed the game that would be the plan that would be the play So Genesis asks, how do you feel about niching down in terms of shorts versus normal videos? My videos used to perform well, but since I started posting shorts, all my views are coming from there, not my normal videos. Well, it depends on what you want to do here because uh, shorts can get you exposure to a bigger audience. Absolutely. And the view ratio on that's going to be disproportionate when it comes to shorts. I might do a whole episode dedicated to YouTube shorts here and my thoughts on YouTube shorts. Um, so you could disproportionately get more views on YouTube shorts, but you will not, even if you're making a hundred times more views on YouTube shorts, make more money from it because the revenue will not pay out the same way. So from that standpoint, it's not necessarily financially viable to go all in on shorts if you have a main channel that's already monetized. What it will do is it will increase your subscriber count. It will increase your overall channel views and exposure, but it's good in those verticals only. It's only good for getting you more views and more for subscribers, but it's not good for making you more money as a result of doing that. And the thing is, to be successful on YouTube, the frank matter is this. You need views, subs unlock features, views give you exposure to an audience. However, you get paid off the ad revenue. 
and shorts doesn't bring in the ad revenue dollars. Not in a significant or meaningful way. So you should still be uploading normal videos. From a financial standpoint, you should still be uploading normal videos. But you can grow your audience and exposure with the shorts. I would say milk those more by repurposing those shorts to TikTok and Instagram as well. And even possibly Facebook Reels because you stand to make some money from that as well because right now they're also doing like bonuses and things like that. So what I would say is you can keep uploading shorts and you can get more exposure, you can get some growth and your other videos may straight up just not get the same views compared to like your um your normal videos i'll give you a primary example of this uh colin and samir colin and samir um disproportionately get more views from their youtube shorts than from their normal video upload content and it's not even close and it's not even close in fact all of their most viewed, most popular videos, aside from out of their top 10 videos, top 12 videos. Yeah, their top 12, top, yeah, their top 15 videos. Of their top 15 videos, there's only two of them that aren't YouTube shorts, and both of them feature Mr. Beast, are the only ones that are not YouTube shorts. And their YouTube shorts, like I'm gonna read you the numbers. 19 million views, 10 million views, 9.5 million views, 5.6 million views, 4.7 million views, 4.1 million views, 3.9. It's not even close. The only videos they have that are even close to that are videos that basically feature Mr. Beast. There was a breakdown of Squid Game at its peak, and that's it. And those videos are all averaging about 1 million views aside from the Mr. Beast interview that is 6 million. So... When I say it's not even close, it's insanity when I say it's not even close. So what, what I would tell you about that situation or what I read from that is this. That's great, but here's the problem. I know that on their channel that um, for every 1 million views they got on shorts, it's like $25 for every 1 million views on shorts. So that's essentially worthless because like oh if i get 10 million views i'm gonna get 250 dollars yay that that's cool if you're a teenager these are adults who have a staff on the other hand if you get even a hundred thousand views on a video that has um a regular upload a regular upload and you get like a hundred thousand views on that well on that video they might make $1,500 or, you, you know, they might make $1,500 on that video. They might have a sponsor for that video. The sponsors are what like really would drive the revenue for their situation. So if that's the case, then yeah, shorts aren't really that meaningful from a revenue standpoint from their channel, but it does grow their channel. Growing the channel lets them charge more on their brand deals it grows the average monthly views exponentially, which optically makes the channel look better and they can charge better ad rates. So for, I'm uh, sorry, better um, sponsor ad rates. So it's a smart leverage play to have those shorts if the shorts are successful in driving views. 
but you don't stop uploading normal videos because if you do, you stop making ad revenue. And you also have less of an outlet for high paying sponsored content because you need the normal videos for that and you still need them to perform at some level. Even if shorts outpace regular videos 10 to one, the revenue on regular videos is gonna outpace shorts 100 or 1000 to one, so it doesn't matter. So, and shorts are very unreliable in terms of their performance and very inconsistent in terms of their performance. So there's that. Uh, DeBarro says, Roberto, I'd like to know your thoughts on those of us who've had a channel for years with under 1K followers and now we want to rebrand and niche down. Should we treat it like a new channel? Um, it depends. Look, I think that new, completely new channels on new accounts, and I, like a lot of people don't like me saying this, but it's the truth. New channels on new accounts often get a little bit of love, extra love from YouTube if you literally start a brand new account. Even better than having like an old account that you finally do something with. with. If you straight up start a new channel, uh, it gets a little bit of extra love from YouTube, um, you know, those first 90 days. Same thing with TikTok, by the way. Um, new accounts get a little bit of extra love. They get a little bit of extra help as long as you're uploading consistently and frequently to them. Yeah. So here's my thing with that. Like if, if you haven't gotten to a thousand in years, you don't necessarily have an active community. If you aren't at a thousand, you aren't monetized, you lose nothing by just starting over and you have everything to gain by starting over and building a new channel with lessons learned and don't repeat the same thing. Cause the thing is, if you've had a channel for years, there's an emotional attachment, there's sentimentality, but guess what you also usually end up doing? You end up repeating the same mistakes and not doing anything radically different. Sometimes a clean slate cleans your head and you can do it better. A clean slate, clears your head you can do it better there's nothing holding you back there's no old baggage no old subscribers no old expectations and you're free and you're free and you can just do it differently and say okay you know what this time i know what i'm doing this time i'm not screwing around and you can just really um push and be more aggressive about it, be more mindful about it, and be more intentional about it. So um, I actually, and again, I know people just get emotional about starting over. Like for me, I kind of, my plan is to, on some level, whether it's uh, with partnered with somebody else or having someone on my team spin one up, I mean, I kind of want to start a new channel every year because it gives me fresh eyes. And so like that, but right, right now, what I'm doing is I'm growing and focusing on getting my existing secondary channels. This year, uh, my plan is to get my existing secondary channels to like get one, get them all monetized and two, get them all to like 5K. And part of that is me just like being able to have different comparison data on smaller channels, and then also grow those channels and grow the sub brands of those channels. I think the podcast, for example, I think the podcast can get to, do you let me guys, guys, let me know if you think that the YouTube podcast here can get to 10,000 before the end of 2022. Cause I think it can, I think the podcast channel can get to 5,000 to 10,000 in one year. Um, I really believe that. I think it can get between 5,000, 10,000 in one year on a Monday through Friday upload schedule. I think it can get to 10,000 in one year. Um, so with that being said, I think if you're under 1K and your channel is struggling, 
if you're not anywhere close to getting monetized, I'd scrap it and start over because I have nothing to lose. If you believe that if you pushed a little harder, you can get the channel monetized, then it'd be worthwhile because then that's a monetizable asset. That channel's an asset. A monetized YouTube channel is an asset, so it's not exactly disposable. So I wouldn't throw away a monetized YouTube channel. It's a it's an asset. It has potential to make money. So, and it's very difficult. Most people do not have monetized YouTube channels. Most of the people on YouTube do not have monetized partnered channels. So that also makes it a commodity. It makes it a commodity. So what I would do is I would make a choice and I would ask myself, do I think it's worth keeping this channel? Do I think that even if I rebrand, am I really at a point to where I can fight the history of the channel and do any and get to monetization? If you think that, then stick with the channel and just rebrand. But I honestly, at that point, would just probably just mentally, I think mental sanitation of just clean slating it and starting over could be better. Uh, Joff asks, how would I raise the bar from my podcast that is popular to the next level live stream? I don't need to make money from YouTube ads. Well, without context of what your um, podcast is about, who the audience is, I'd be speaking in generalities. But all right, let's uh, even speaking in generalities, speak in generalities with no additional context. What would I do to take a podcast to the next level? I'd ask myself what would create an even better experience for the viewers. So from that standpoint, I mean, let's look at me. One of the things I did is we went from single camera to multicam. We went to multicam. It's a better experience. It means also like I have a wide angle so that it's easier to put the super chats and the comments on the live screen and put me on screen and read them and it have it uh, look better. So that, I mean, that's, that's just something that we did to take it to the next level. Multicam also is going to um, make this just a more polished, more produced experience. Good audio, good lighting, all those good things help. So, I mean, those production values are another level. Production values are another level. High profile guests are another level. Um, frequency and consistency is another thing that takes something to another level. Having clips from the show available on a highlights channel and putting that out, making short form video, vertical video to give the podcast exposure on other platforms, that's taking things to another level. So those are all things. You can take the production in terms of lighting, audio, and video to another level. You can take the cut up edited segments of the podcast and put that out if you're not doing already that takes it to another level short form vertical video that expands the brand takes it to another level uh producing um any type of branding or graphics takes things to another level so if you're saying well what takes things to another level we're usually talking in vagaries there we're being very abstract there but let's look at it you can always improve the production you can always improve the quality of the content through guest you can always change something in the format or add formats, and you can always improve how the podcast is distributed. So you can look at how it's produced. You can look at the guest list. You can look at the segments. You can look at engagement you, and improve that. You can look at the overall viewer and listener experience and how to improve that, and you can always improve distribution and exposure. Those all take things to another level because they're all specific things you can focus on improving. If you say, how do I take things to another level? Find a specific area of improvement 
and then move on to another area of improvement and another area of improvement and another area of improvement. Boom. The sensory strut says, hi, Roberto. When first starting out, does it matter exactly how, what time the videos are posted? Current stats, 492 subs and around 290s for watch time. I upload three videos a week as of this year. So um, my experience, even with this podcast, is as long as your audience is active and awake, post whenever is convenient, uh, whenever your audience is active or awake. It really just comes down to are there people awake, active, and available to consume your content? Other than that, personally, I haven't seen time matter. For initial views, sure, it can, and you can look up data on that. But think about it. I've posted the podcast at random, intermittent times, sometimes in the dead of the night, and sometimes there's more of an audience in the dead of the night than in the early afternoon because people are working. Sometimes that just works out better. Sometimes it's better for the international audience who watches the podcast. Uh, so it hasn't mattered, but it can also depend on the content. It can depend on the niche. So there's that. So that's why I've never really fully subscribed to the idea of time of day or day of the week. I don't think it really matters. I think the problem that people don't understand is that consumers will watch the content when they want to watch it, how they want to watch it. So that's why I don't necessarily believe that you have to worry as much of the specifics of individual like upload times, days of week, um, you know, all of that stuff, because we'll watch something when we're interested in it. Now, if you can upload on schedule, it certainly helps. With consistency, I mean. Tosh says, I want my shorts to be ads for my content, like a way to bring people to my channel to grow. My strategy for that would be, I know what you're saying when you want them to be ads for the content, but we're not being literal there. Uh, you want them to promote your content on your thing. So I would, I would almost even turn it into um, uh, not necessarily an ad, but almost like an ad in a tongue in cheek way and make it think of it more as a promo more than ad think of it as a promo, just like how television shows have promos or how movies have trailers. So I would make your shorts almost feel like trailers to get people not to watch a particular video on your channel, but just to go watch your channel. Like I would make it more of like a trailer or a promo of like, Oh, I just want to watch more of what this person's up to. Um, Elliot family says watermark our YouTube channel name on our TikTok video is a good idea. No, you don't need to just link it in your bio. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it guys. Don't overthink. Don't over optimize. Don't make things more complicated than they need to be. If anything, simplify everything. Clover says, considering where you are at now, the average that simply watch live. Yeah. 10 K is a realistic goal. Thanks, man. Don, the developer says, personally, I think you can get this channel over 10K, uh, not views, 10K subs by the end of the year. Thanks, man. Natasha says, it's not going to take me a year. Appreciate the confidence. <laughs> Dominic says, uh, for sure, 10K by 2023. Great points on channel under 1K. I'm going to end up doing that for myself. It's worth the fresh start. Yeah, like mentally, a fresh start 
um, definitely helps sometimes. I mean, even with me, to be honest with you, the, um, doing this channel and doing the music channel is the thing that's helping me avoid creator burnout the most probably. Cause like, I really, uh, you guys see it. I actually like doing the podcast more than I like uploading to my regular channel, which I'll probably have a new video out on the regular channel uh, tomorrow. Cause it's Wednesday. I did a video on Monday, took Tuesday off. It'll probably be Wednesday. Then I'll probably do another one Friday, may even do one Thursday. Um, so uh, trying to get two to three videos out a week in 2022 uh, for the main channel. But so like with me, I like doing this live stream channel. I mean, to Johnny's point, um, like you can use your main YouTube channel for one thing or another, depending on what features you've unlocked. Um, so like with me, prime example, my main channel is recorded video uploads for the most part. Um, the only live streaming I probably do over there is probably like when I do something with Viper because we kind of have a show that we're incorporating over there and it just hasn't necessarily made sense to take that show off of the channel. And I can get views on those live streams in a similar way as long as I do it a certain way. And it actually is a really good, and it's also good for me and Viper to do that show together on my main channel. It works out for both of us. So um, in fact, actually, I think this weekend I'll be doing a video, a live stream with him this weekend coming up because uh, he started a new channel. He's starting YouTube all over again. So that's interesting. Um, so yeah. And then this channel is my channel where I do the podcast as a live stream. So this is the channel where I'm a streamer on YouTube because I started for 2022. I'm leaning into streaming. I'm leaning into podcasting. And yes, I will be consistent with weekly uploads on my main YouTube channel. I'm going to try not to miss a week this year, actually. That's the plan. But on the main channel, but I'm also going to try to do Monday through Friday on this podcast channel and show up consistently because that was the thing that made me the most successful in YouTube in my career is when I was a near daily content creator, when I was showing up five to seven times a week on YouTube, that's what grew my channel. And that was the most growth for two and a half years of my channel um, of doing that consistently is where the real growth, that is where more than, more than, more than 60% of my current subscribership is from the two and a half years that I was doing near daily content. Um, and so that's what um, turned out to be true for me is with consistency, not over the top content. I never had viral videos on my channel. So over the top content, um, super, 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 the most high quality thing you could ever make, the most crazy thing you could ever make. That didn't, that never worked for me. There was no, oh, here's the snowball effect of making a big video. Nope. That happened for a lot of my friends. It never happened for me. My, uh, my thing has just been consistency and frequency. And that's been what worked. $2 super chat. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Um, yes, by the way, thank you to everybody who is smashing the like button during the live stream or on the replay of this. I do appreciate you. What Chef says, uh, this episode has me thinking, moving my interview series to a new channel just for that. I'll tell you a story about that, actually, uh, What Chef. Some of you may be familiar with my good friend, John Prosser from Front Page Tech. You know, a couple of years ago, 
he and I were at an event uh, that our friend Chris Perillo, OG in tech, who gave like everybody their start, right? Gave Marquez Brownlee and like everybody else their start in uh, tech YouTube, right? Uh, we were at an event Chris Perillo did in collaboration with Adobe, and I was a speaker at the event. So I was sitting there in the hotel lobby um, with John before, like, you know, um, the next, like later that evening, I'd go to the airport or it was the next day I'd go to the airport or something like that. Right. So I was sitting there with John and we ended up talking for like four hours. And uh, it was me talking him out of quitting YouTube. Now, if you don't know, John Prosser is literally the biggest source in like, he's the biggest, like he's one of the biggest names in being a tech analyst and like journalists are forced to respond to what John Prosser does or doesn't do or say he has been reporting most accurately on Apple leaks for the last three years. Like John Prosser is a big deal. And so Front Page Tech is a tech news show that has a lot of satire and comedy. You can think of it like a spiritual successor to Tosh um the tosh 1.0 tosh 2.0 from like back in the um g4 days or whatever and back in the comedy central days and stuff like that right so john is like really talented but for like six or seven years he didn't feel like he was getting anywhere on youtube and he was a smaller channel with like maybe thirty thousand subscribers it was a struggle for them to even get like it was a struggle for them to even get five thousand views on a video it was pretty rough it was like pretty rough. Like in a 30-day period, getting 5,000 views was pretty rough for them. This was a while back. So I gave him the best advice that I could think of. Because again, they were starting to start to break 10K per upload within a 30-day cycle. But the thing is, the channel was doing way too many different things. It was doing front page tech as a news show, but it wasn't doing that consistently. Then sometimes he'd make these random one-off special report type videos they wanted to do where he wants to deep dive into a topic. Then he would do these other like live streams then he introduced a podcast and that had kind of a, a loyal fan base on the channel so they were doing like four different types of videos on the channel but the brand was front page tech and the news show was disproportionately the most successful thing out of all the types of content they make and so i gave him some advice i was like john for 90 days just trust me for 90 days only do front page tech only do front page tech and nothing else for like 90 days and it's like make the news show the funny news show with bad humor that everybody loves and signed up for and that you're known for do the thing you're the best in the world at that nobody can do like you and he said okay i'll give it 90 days just for you roberto i i, I trust you um they the, three weeks in the channel is skyrocketing from this focus because he goes daily and just does front page tech daily for three weeks. Channel starts skyrocketing. Now, all of a sudden, they're getting 20, 30,000 views per upload. And because they're uploading every day, the channel's exploding. And so he's like, oh, like, you know, screw the experiment. This is over. This is how it's going to be. This is what we're doing. And it's like, and so I, I gave a follow up advice. I was like, John. You can make the content you want to make, brand it, and put it into the format of the show. 
make it in the format of the show and you can still do a do a special deep dive video but it's a front page tech video you do the intro you do the whole thing and then it's a breaking special report and you do the thing you can do this you can do that and then i was like as for the podcast i was like dude make another youtube channel for the podcast promote it get it up there and everything get it monetized and then have the hardcore fans get that as supplemental content and have them go over there and then you'll have two channels that are making money and you'll have and that and they did that and um he's since rebranded and has a different podcast now on his channel and everything so he has the genius bar podcast which is really dope and it's successful and so yeah they and the channel the, the rest is history or so they say i think now the channel gets like 150,000 views every upload now um and again this is they were struggling for 6 years and he was planning to quit youtube at 30,000 subscribers the, the 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 channel is massively successful multiple six figure channel they have a great team they're killing it and he's made a name for himself all because of a very specific pivot that required focus and uh, sacrifice and what in literature they refer to as killing your darlings and he still found a way to be able to make things he wanted to make that were different than the show, but he found that there's a different outlet for them and there's a different place for some of them and that you can do other things. And so that that's that's why like niching down, getting focus, figuring out what you're known for, what you want to be known for can be so massively effective. Um there's another uh, creator in my community, uh, Bijou Mike. He's a gamer. He focused on a couple of things. He focused on what I said about keyword research. He focused on making the content that's getting the most traction exclusively and killing off the rest. He blew up. He got himself to over a million. Then he started making, after having a million subscribers, started making the other supplemental content he wanted to make. Now, there was an audience that was very into him, and he had the popularity. He's at like 3 million subscribers now. He might be the next Markiplier, for all I know. The um, So... He might be able to go, he might go the distance. He might go to 10 million subscribers and become like one of the big YouTubers in gaming. So there's there's um, a benefit, a massive benefit to focusing on what you're good at instead of what you wish you were good at. You know, there's what you're good at and then there's what you wish you were good at. And so that's that's the thing that I try to explain to people, because, again, that's not always creatively or emotionally satisfying. But when you want to succeed at something, when you have a goal, it's like, OK, well, what are you willing to sacrifice for that goal? Are you or like this? Do you have to have it be completely fulfilling in every single possible way that it can be? Or do you want the result? So that's, you know, that's the thing. And I don't think it's about how many topics a, a channel can have. I don't think it's about how many topics a channel can have. I think it's about can the value to the viewer be clearly identified and can the viewer say, hey, that creator is making content for me and for the community that I'm in. That's all the, that's what someone has to be able to identify. Everyone thinks that niching down is, okay, I will only make videos on this topic. It's a matter of I'm only making videos for this community. That's the difference. I'm only making videos for this community. And am I making, here's another tactic I'll tell y'all. 
make videos that you know have some guarantee of a viewership. And so what do I mean like that by that? Well, guys, I know for a fact that if I make a video on the best export settings for YouTube in 2022, there's a guarantee that people will watch that video. There's a guarantee that people who've never heard of me will watch that video. There's a guarantee that people who've never heard of Roberto Blake will watch a video on the best Premiere Pro export settings for YouTube. There's a guarantee that the best export settings for Final Cut Pro in 2022, there's a guarantee that people who've never heard of Roberto Blake will watch that video. There's a guarantee that how to make an audio loop, how to edit a podcast, there's a guarantee that people who have never heard of Roberto Blake will watch that video. There's a guarantee of it. How to sync audio in Premiere Pro, there's a guarantee that people who've never heard of Roberto Blake will watch that video. So like, I know that will work. There's a guarantee that people who've never heard of Roberto Blake will watch how to get 1,000 subscribers in 2022. There's a guarantee that people will watch that video. Guaranteed viewership is not necessarily the hardest thing in the world to figure out around a topic. But when you're trying to be overly clever and overly original, then and you haven't had the experience to justify making something original, it becomes very, very difficult. I mean, but if like, but here's the thing, if I were an entertainer, if I were a gamer, I could make content that would work because I know formats and ideas and things that would work because I know what people would watch because I'm part of the culture. So I know that if I was doing gaming on YouTube, if I was doing gaming on YouTube, I know for a fact that the thing that I would probably do is I would try to, I would probably make a theme around doing blank as fast as fast as possible. And in terms of doing blank as fast as possible, I would pick things to do that people want to do in games that are new games that are free and games that are popular. So that's how I would be able to create content for a gaming community. I would say, okay, Roberto, if you're going to make a video about a game to have a guaranteed audience, you're going to have to, a guaranteed audience for a game is a game that's free because there's a guaranteed audience because, okay, broke people will play it. People with no money can play this, so they'll have a, a, a base. Okay, cool. Um, hey, a game that is new will be searched, will be watched, will have other people making comment content that it can be recommended against by the algorithm. Guaranteed audience. Okay, bet. And then finally, a game that is popular that has a dedicated following or franchise. So now I know, okay, all right, those are verticals of what games can I cover. So now I know what games I can cover. Now I need to dive into an aspect of a game. The aspects of the game that matter to a lot of people a lot of times are time and also rarity. Time, time you're spending to accomplish a task in a game rarity in terms of here's a rarely seen thing in the game or here's a very difficult thing to do in the game so i know that time rarity or difficulty or um from start to finish are things that matter so being able to understand how to accomplish a task in a game step by step from start to finish is something valuable to people being able to do something as fast as possible is valuable to people listing all the rare items is valuable to people okay 
And also another thing that's valuable to people are from an entertainment standpoint rather than a utility standpoint is challenges, little known facts, and exploits. Exploits, little known facts, and challenges. Can you do blank with only blank? Can you do blank without blank? Can you do blank with blank in blank amount of time? These are different things. Primary example is uh, and there was a big there's a big trend now that almost guarantees viewership in the Pokemon community. Can you beat uh, Pokemon whatever the game is with Ash Ketchum's um, team? So you can pick any Pokemon game that ties to a season of Pokemon and then challenge yourself to beat it with Ash's team. Another one is, can you beat Pokemon with only this type of Pokemon, this group of Pokemon, this team of Pokemon, this other handicap? Oh, can you beat Pokemon without any items? Can you beat Pokemon with only gifted Pokemon? Can you uh, beat Pokemon without... um, fainting can you like you know like it's always some type of challenge when star wars came out with uh jedi fallen order at the end of the game it's like well can you actually defeat darth vader at the end of the game uh because it's a thing where they make you run away from him and it's like well wait what if you don't run can you actually beat him and so people were curious is that possible And they wanted to watch all the scenarios where someone tries to do it so there's all types of ways even in something you think is as saturated as gaming to compete because you just have to say what can i do that is either useful or very very entertaining that has a high level of difficulty for other people And then what do people care about? And then aside from the gameplay aspects of things, you could focus on the storytelling of video games. You could focus on lore, or you could focus on video essays. Primary example, Jedi Fallen Order. I could have done a video essay on why Jedi Fallen Order is a game that is about um, PTSD and survivor's guilt. And I could tell you how the main character, uh, Cal Kestis, is a survivor of Order 66. And so he has PTSD for being a child soldier. I could tell you how um, the Night Sister that's in the game, like how she's a survivor. She's the last of her kind because like her people were wiped out. And so she has um, PTSD and survivor's guilt. Um, I could I could tell you about how Seer, another character in the game, she has survivor's guilt and PTSD because, um, you know, she turned to the dark side and doesn't feel worthy of being um, a Jedi now and says she's cut herself off from the Force completely because there was a point where she turned to the dark side. And then I could talk about Vader and how Vader is the ultimate version of, like, why this story is about survivors and PTSD and how he didn't cope with it because it's all about who like the spectrum of how all these uh, people coped with the consequences of the clone wars. And that would be a deep thing to talk about um, that. And that would make sense for what the game is. And then I could go into a different game and then I could talk about the, the underlying theme or story uh, that's that game. And I could maybe focus on games that have like, very tragic um, storylines or something like that and break them down and humanize the characters. The see, that's a video essay format. It's a different thing. And that's not about gameplay or about challenges. That's about storytelling and about deconstruction and analysis. And guess what? How many people in the niche are doing that? How many of them are doing it at a high level? 
how many of them are doing that and becoming known for it. See, there's always an answer to how am I going to stand apart? How am I going to use something that's known and has a following, put a twist on it that makes it worthwhile? And what am I bringing to the table? That's not about this, something being completely new, but how do I make it new for people? Or how do I address people who might be new to the community? Because that's the other thing is people sometimes don't think about, well, what? how can I make this cool for people that are new to the community? Because how many big creators are ignoring the fact that there are people who are just new to the community. You know, um, Tosh, like my friend Natasha, she's like, she's apparently never like watched Star Wars or whatever, right? It's like, if I was a Star Wars YouTuber, what if I made Star Wars content from the perspective of welcoming people into the Star Wars fandom and making them not feel stupid for not having watched Star Wars over the last 40 years? You know, so like, and that's just an example. And the reason I bring up gaming is because like gaming is like one of those things that everyone wants to do. And the reason it feels saturated is because there's almost no barrier to entry. But why are there only so many channels that are good at it and they're large and they get a viewership? Because since the barrier to entry is so low, people think they can get away with making very, very low quality or mediocre or easy to replicate content instead of challenging themselves to make their content very unique in the aspect of how the content is made or their unique approach or twist to adding something to the community. And so that would ultimately be the thing that sets them apart. But people don't want to go that extra mile because they're working. They think that the limited resources, time, or that they can't hire an editor, they think that's what's holding them back. What's holding them back is they are not thinking it through in terms of like, how can I make something that um, really makes it that I am known for this and this is mine. I mean, Matt Pat from Game Theory is a great example. Like he made, he carved out his own genre and style of YouTube video and he did it at the very beginning, very extremely low budget. So there was not a barrier to entry from that. What he did was he took more time and more thought and care with his research. His, he made his editing style very hard to duplicate and made it painstaking to duplicate it. And that's what he did. James Johnny does the same thing with his mini documentaries. Um, the same thing for the channel, How Money Works. Extensive, painful level of high quality editing, scripting, and research. So, I mean, those are things that ultimately can set people apart. It doesn't always have to be, oh, I'm doing multicam. Oh, I'm doing 4K. Oh, I'm doing challenges like Mr. Beast. Oh, I'm throwing money at stuff and everything like that. I mean, earlier I was talking to somebody on Twitter and they were talking about quality over quantity and they're talking about like Mark Rober. And I'm like, no one can just go out there and make a hundred videos and get to 10 million subscribers like a Mark Rober or whatever, because no, like you're, no one's an engineer. No one's an engineer and engineer plus charismatic on camera plus that creative is a super rare combination you can't just be that you can't just go out and be mark rober you can't just go out and be mr beast you gotta start somewhere 
So like quality over quantity is not realistic for people who aren't filmmakers, engineers, um, like, you know, talented painters, cinematographer, like somebody that is not are like already some inherently great talent. Quality over quantity is a mean, a meaningless thing for somebody that's not a top tier talent already or is not years of experience into building themselves into a top tier talent. Cause like when Jimmy started, he was a kid and he wasn't making high quality content. He spent years building up to that quality over quantity is not a realistic starting point for YouTubers. Quality over quantity is not a realistic starting point for new YouTubers. And I'm one of the only larger content creators that will say that and be truthful because we've romanticized and you're supposed to say i'm going to tell you the stuff that we're supposed to say we're supposed to say quality over quantity because we're supposed to be encouraging people not to put out quote unquote crappy videos or whatever and it's like and that's an elitist mentality because all of us put out crappy videos when we started unless we had five or ten years of some previous background that's an advantage or a level of capability or had resources or privileges that didn't that let us make high quality stuff from day one and most people starting out just don't have that so it's kind of pretentious to say quality over quantity to a small youtuber to a new content creator to a small to a small creator it's pretentious as hell and it's largely not true because they're not capable of it at the beginning and that's not disrespecting someone and saying, oh, you can't make anything but crappy videos. It's saying that's like, realistically, you have no background, you have no training, you have no money, and you have no free time. You're doing this as a side hustle after working 50 hours a week. You're doing it after you come home. You still have responsibilities, you, you know, and you don't exactly have $3,000, $5,000, $10,000 in gear to throw at this either. And... You know, you also and come up with your ideas. You come up with ideas after working fifty hours a week at, at work. What the hell? Like, where where, where are you going to find the creative energy to come up with the most brilliant idea that's ever been had compared to a YouTuber who does nothing but YouTube and is obsessed with nothing but YouTube and has years of experience that you don't? It's easy for somebody to say quality over quantity when they have that situation. It's really hard to say quality over quantity when you're a rookie. It makes no sense to say it when you're a rookie. So why are we telling rookies that? It makes no sense. And yeah, I mean, I could see advocating for the audience of why would an audience watch like, um, like less than perfect videos when they have the option to watch the biggest, most entertaining. Like, I'm like, well, a lot of big, high production value, big YouTubers, they lose subscribers every single day. They have people in their audience who say, you're not relatable anymore. And a lot of them do watch smaller channels because they feel closer to them. <laughs> so there's that. You also can't overlook the fact that shorts content and YouTube uh, shorts content, TikTok content, Instagram reels is getting views now, is getting views without having to have the highest quality and they're winning on the quantity game. TikTokers are uploading three times a day and you're gonna try and tell me that quality over quantity is still a real thing. Quality over quantity is bullshit. <laughs> because look at TikTok and shorts and look at, and people say, oh, but that's like low tier content. It's a shame. It's getting so many views. Not to the people who like watching it. The audience is deciding. The audience decided to put those people on. The audience decided to put those people on. Like, so what, what are we going to do? We're going to argue with the market. We're going to, we're going to argue with the market and say that the consumer is wrong is that what we're going to do? Is that what we're going to do? 
it's like you talk about out of touch tone deaf and pretentious if that's what we're gonna do you know what i'm saying and again if you're a filmmaker quality over quantity makes sense for you if you're a filmmaker Quality over quantity doesn't work for a newscaster. It doesn't work for a commentary channel. It doesn't work for a reaction channel. It doesn't work for um, so many other channels. At the same time, quantity over quality doesn't work for an animator. William says, this is the most real uh, to life commentary when it comes to content creation. I literally have to get up early just to do the research to make a video. I may go ahead and focus more on quantity now. Like facts. I'm not saying that research isn't valid. I'm saying that if you're going to do research, think about doing research in a way where you can milk multiple videos out of that same research. Maybe you can get multiple videos out of the same research depending on how you go about it. Maybe when you're filming, like I say, I don't do film, edit, post. I film and film and film some more because, all right, I'll teach you a lesson real quick, guys. Like when you want to make uh, and scale your YouTube content, film back to back when the house is quiet. If the house is quiet, that's a limited time only, especially if you got kids. Some of y'all got kids. When the house is quiet, don't be sitting there editing. You can put on your headphones when you need to edit. Film while it's quiet and while you got the energy, as long as you got the energy and it's quiet, film as much content as possible. I swear to God, you will be better off. Just film. Don't edit. Don't post. Don't go into Photoshop because you got your piece in quiet. No, just film and record content while it's quiet because you don't know when it's going to be quiet again. And then you've got content on deck. And then when it's time to edit and it's not quiet, you put on your headphones. You don't need it to be quiet for you to edit or to work in your thumbnails or to even do your research. You need it to be quiet when it's time to film your videos. So take advantage of it. You don't need all the energy in the world to edit your videos or to make your thumbnails or to do your research. You need all the energy in the world, though, to be on camera and to record something or to do the voiceovers. You need that. So use the quiet time and your peak energy to make the content. That's a quantitative approach right there. And it will improve uh, the quality in a lot of cases too. So just do that. That's that uh, one thing will make your life better. That one thing will make your life better. I swear. And by the way, quality is subjective. Quantity isn't. Quality is subjective. Quantity isn't. Um, best advice I ever got was flood the internet. And who gave you that advice? There's also a thing of you could make content so high quality that it becomes unsustainable, and then you're never able to walk that back and make something that's reasonable. And that can be an overcommitment on time, money, energy, effort. I mean, it's just a thing. So, yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to that, like, yeah, I am keeping it 100. <laughs> Because like, you know, again, the, the reality is this, and this is no disrespect to anybody. It's easy for, um, it's easy for 20 something year olds and 18 year olds who make YouTube videos to just say something like quality over quantity 
and whatever. In many cases, um, they can do that because there's just not competing priorities in life. They're at the peak of their energy. They're in their prime. You know, I mean, when you hit 30 and 40, content creation is a little bit different. Like just to be very real with you, to be real with you, when you get into your 30s, you get into your 40s, life is different. You got responsibilities that are very different than a 20 year old. You got different priorities. You got a different set of values. You have um, different things possibly even going on with your health considerations, your stress levels. You, you know, life might've even roughed you up a little bit. It's very different. Harder to be a go-getter, harder to have unlimited stamina and energy, harder to learn new things and just less time to get everything done because your priorities are split. So like, so like that is <laughs> so like that's a real thing and it's just how it is and so the this the, the idea of quality over quantity is some universal truth is not that helpful to creators when i say the niche down thing when i say the niche down thing I'm also not necessarily speaking of that as universal truth, but I'm speaking of that to it's the easiest way for a beginner to start because that's the thing. There are truths that are different at different levels of your career in YouTube. I think niching down and getting uh, focused is one of the fastest ways to accelerate from zero to 1,000 to 10,000 subscribers. But what gets you to 10,000 subscribers is not the answer to getting to 50,000, and then you have to do something a little bit different to get to 100,000. I'm going to have to make some videos about this specifically because this is that there are different levels of playing the game of YouTube. There is a strategy for zero to 10,000 subscribers. And it's very similar to zero to 1,000. Zero to 1,000, zero to 10,000 is, is best practices and being consistent and practicing and making quantity uh, volume content to go to zero to 10,000. Because let's be real, most of y'all will not be viral content creators or you wouldn't have to you wouldn't be here right now like most of y'all are not going to be viral content creators viral content creators are one in 10 million like like and by that i mean people who go viral and blow up like okay let me put it to you another way the people who make less than 100 videos like the people who make 20 30 videos and go to 100,000 subscribers, a quarter million subscribers, a million subscribers, that's a one in 10 million content creator. That is a one in 10 million content creator. At best case scenario, if we're being generous, it's one in a million. It's one in a million. Those aren't good odds. Those aren't good odds. And 90% of content creators never, ever, ever, ever even get 10,000 subscribers at all. 90%. Massive, massive drop off and failure rate for YouTube. Okay, so let's be real. That advice coming from the top isn't working if 90% of people can't get to 10,000 subscribers in their entire lifetime of their career. That advice from the top about quality over quantity or trying to go viral doesn't work. And people are getting frustrated because people just won't be honest and say that for most of y'all, if you want to get to 10,000 subscribers, you're going to have to make 200, 300 freaking videos. You're going to, have to get to 10,000 subscribers. You're going to have to make 100 videos minimum to even get good at making content. Most of y'all, if you don't have a background in it, because you got to learn somehow, and you're learning with sometimes the disadvantage of splitting your time with YouTube, your day job, and your responsibilities in your home. And that's just the truth. 
So for most of y'all who are dividing your energy and your time five different ways, it's going to take longer to grow on YouTube than someone who doesn't have to do that, who doesn't have those circumstances. And that's real. Okay. A lot of you, this is exactly what you're going through right now. And so you're gauging yourself and comparing yourself to people who don't have that. You're comparing yourself to people who might be able to throw a credit card at their YouTube channel to get all their gear and to have an advantage or to hire a coach and might have an advantage from day one. You don't know what's happening behind the scenes on these people that are moving at light speed. And a lot of them, the frank truth is um, just that they've got more resources than you or they got more time or some of them just straight up got more talent and they ain't got nothing to do with you. So how are you going to play the game? And for a lot of you, the way you, the rest of y'all have to play the game is you're going to have to play the marathon game. You're going to have to play the Rocky game and you're going to have to work hard, work longer hours at things. You're going to have to get beat up a little bit and it's going to take you some time. And that's how it is. And it, it, you know, it's not about it being unfair. It's just that this is your circumstances and it's not everybody else's. So time and energy, time and energy are a, a, a thing that you may not be able to realistically just overcome. So you have to work within the limitations of that. And so what that looks like for zero to 10,000 is going to be very different. Now, once you're from zero to 10,000, there's um, data for you to go off of that's going to help you go from 10,000 to 50,000 and then start refining your process and playing the game very differently very differently than you did at zero because now you have experience. So now being an experienced content creator that got to 10,000 and beat the 90% failure threshold, well, now that creator has experience and data and possibly even support and collaborators to move them from 10,000 to 50,000. And now when you're in the 50,000 subscriber tier category, you have money. If you've gotten to 50,000 subscribers and your channel is monetized, you probably have money, which means now you can scale a little bit and you can get help to elevate your brand. You can buy back some of your time. You might be able to even get a part-time editor to help you. There's a lot of things you can do, or you might be able to invest in other tools or coaching or something. And then you're going to have a strategy for either going full-time before you get to 100,000 subscribers, or you're going to be able to go to 100,000 subscribers and then look back and say, you might be able to be in a position from here to be full-time. And then being a full-time creator is very different than being a part-time creator. And one of the big differences between YouTubers who are in their teens or early 20s versus YouTubers in their 30s and 40s is that YouTubers in their teens and 20s have a better chance of being able to be full-time YouTubers, even if they're not making a ton of money. One, they usually need less money. Two, the salary and income that they're making at teens to 20s is so low that YouTube very quickly can replace that, which justifies them getting all their time back by just doing YouTube or freelancing or Uber or Fiverr. And that's the difference. Most of y'all in your 30s, YouTube will not get to an earning potential quickly enough to justify you leaving a stable salary. Young people typically don't have very high paying stable salaries. So YouTube can easily compete. YouTube, TikTok, and Twitch can compete with a young person's earning potential easily. 
easily the earning potential you have when you're young, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitch can easily compete with and replace that. That's the other advantage of buying back their time is cheaper than buying back your time if you're in your 30s and 40s, on average, usually. I'm generalizing, but let's be real. So that's the difference. That's the real difference. And so, and so for a lot of you, when you realize that and you understand that it's about the time leverage, the energy leverage, and also, well, how quickly can you learn and, and get to a place where you have the information and you have the ability to think more strategically, then that's going to be an issue. Um, Elliot says, uh, everyone's journey is different. We just have to run our own race. Yep. I say it all the time. I say it all the time. Uh, Clever tech. No, I didn't forget today's sponsor. Today's sponsor was uh, StreamYard. Uh, Clover says, so quantity has another advantage for those who are like me and do evergreen content. That big catalog, 17,000 videos at this point, congratulations on that, steadily gets views and made uh, ad money. It adds up pretty quickly too. Oh, facts, facts. That's for me too. Facts. That is for me um, too. Evergreen content wins for me versus trying to do viral or trendy content. Absolutely. Cause it sustainably just makes money. Even when I take two months off from uploading, I still make money. So it absolutely. So yeah, big shout out to StreamYard, by the way, for sponsoring today's video. There's that's another thing that helps having sponsors definitely helps. Sponsors are usually <clears throat> for how so many creators um, go full-time. That's why a lot of them will focus on views and subs. But I always prioritized two things, um, growing the respect of the audience and growing the revenue of the channel. Those have always been the way that I prioritize everything. Um, Sophisive uh, said, uh, my boyfriend sent me your tweet about making 100 videos and your advice is really giving me more motivation to work harder. I, I really love to hear that. Thank you. Working harder, but working intentionally, working hard at something intentional that you will benefit from, not just on results, but on, but on the process as well is the key here because a lot of people get frustrated and say i work hard why don't i have results i work hard why am i not rich well first of all let me tell you something if you're working hard and you say i'm working hard why am i not rich my question becomes are you working hard at something that makes people rich yes or no because then you that that's oh well i'm not working hard at something that makes people rich no one gets rich working hard at the thing i do it's like so the problem is not hard work at that point it's that you're doing something that would not produce the result that you are looking for, no matter how hard you work. 
So there is no point in using that to demonize hard work. And see, that's the problem with people and their commentary on what they think hustle culture is, because what they think hustle culture is does not apply to the people that they are talking to. The people that they are talking to will not benefit from working harder at the things they are doing. They will benefit from doing different things if those things are reasonable for them to do, and then working hard in a reasonable way for a reasonable window of time to change their circumstances, and they have to decide if that is worth doing. They have to decide if that is worth it. Are you willing to work hard for three years and risk burning out and being a little miserable for three years by doing a season of hustle if it means that you can avoid a lifetime of hardship and not regret the next 30 years? If you can work for three years and not regret the next 30, if you can work hard for five years and not regret the next 50, is that a sacrifice that is reasonable for you to make for where you are in life? And it's a yes or no answer. And it's not the same for everybody. And there's no shame if you're not prepared to do that. But the answer is, if not now, when? And will it be easier or harder down the road to make that choice? What upfront cost is worth it to turn or change your life around because you're not going to necessarily win the lottery. You're not necessarily going to win the lottery. Um, if things didn't change in society drastically to improve the fortunes of your parents or your grandparents, why on earth would you finally be the chosen one? I'm not saying we can't work to make society a little better. I'm saying it's completely reasonable and not overly cynical to assume that you're not special and that your generation will finally be the one that finally gets everything their heart desires. That's arrogant. And it's naive and it's stupid. And you can't blame people who are more reasonable than that for saying so and saying, hey, you're going to have to get your stuff together and do it yourself because if it didn't work out that the world moved the needle for your grandparents, your great-grands, or even your parents, or anybody else that you know, you should probably have a little bit more humility, realize you ain't special, it's not going to happen, and that the best champion for change, the best agent of change that you will ever see in your entire life it's probably staring back at you in the mirror and you better start working on making sure that your future self isn't cursing you out 10 years from now. Like that's my advice. If society gets better for people, great. What you should be working on is making sure they're not one of the people waiting on that change to happen. So you should probably get moving. And again, people think that that's a toxic mentality that discourages uh, improvement or progress. No, it means that you are not beholden. It means that you are not sitting there waiting with your hands open only to be disappointed. It means that you are making a proactive stance in your own life from a place of agency and you're not making the other absurd assumption that people who haven't experienced your circumstances and hardships are all of a sudden going to come up with a solution that works for you you're probably the best person to come up with a solution that works for you and you can't change the whole world so you might as well change you
and change your circumstances and you might as well better you and your situation and your family. And the thing is, the thing I love about our creator economy is that it gives you the ability to do that. It gives you the ability to do that because you can go out there and you may not go viral, but can you work really hard, really smart and build 1000 true fans? Can you do that? And the answer is probably, yeah, you probably can. Will you do it in a year? Maybe not. Two years, three years, five years. The average on YouTube of being successful, honestly, hand to God, the average, regardless of what that success looks like, is five years. Minimum. Oh, wait, what else takes that long? Getting a degree? On average, making a business profitable and stop losing money? Oh, wow. So you mean usually getting good at something takes five years? Oh, I'm not shocked. Oh, you know what else takes five years usually getting good at? Playing a sport, playing a musical instrument. Everything you want to be good at, why would you be good at if you spend five or ten years doing it? <laughs> Rodimus Primal, what's up, my friend? Uh, my bread and butter is evergreen content. News videos are good, but people aren't going to watch those videos six months from now unless I brought up something that came to pass. Yeah, I agree. I agree. World According to Briggs says, I'm a freak. I went full-time at 48. Yeah, sometimes that works out too, man. Sometimes that can work out too, and you are the perfect ultimate freak of nature hustler that got it done at 48. So congrats on that world according to Briggs. Super appreciate you always being part of the community. So yeah, I mean, it's tough love, but it is love. Like I think the opportunity to make an extra thousand dollars a month on YouTube is right there for people, but it might be a little rough. It might take you three to five years to do it. Um, it's just how it is. It depends on what your background, your skills are and uh, again, I think that a lot of the benefit comes from the less random things you're doing, the more intentional, thoughtful, planned out things you're doing. That's why I'm like, no random videos. Like, it's because I'm like, be intentional at what you're doing instead of random. Random is cute when you're 16, not when you're 26, 36, 46. Random ain't cute no more, it's flaky. So like random, it's not cute. It's not charming. It's inconsistent and it's hard to commit to. It's cute for kids. Yeah. I'm not going to say there's not a place for it ever. I'm saying it's not viable for most of you. And that's just being realistic. Because by the way, you want to know what most of those 90% of creators that don't get the 10,000 have in common? They don't niche down, they don't stand out, and they don't step their game up, and then they're shocked when they never blew up or grew up. Bryce says, my success started really showing around the end of my second year. Yeah, that's about the same for me too. Yep. So with all of that in mind, you all, again, I, I encourage you to get focused and to make a commitment to a community that you really care about and to do things that you're good at, not just that you're passionate about, but that you're good at and that have opportunities attached to them that make sense and are sustainable. And for those of you who really need to improve your life circumstances, they need to be financially viable too. And I think that's where I'm going to end today's show. And then for the live audience, of course, we have a little bit of Q&A. I want to thank everybody who is listening to the audio only or is watching the replay. Make sure that you are leaving a review in Apple and Spotify and a five-star rating. It really does help us out with the algorithms over there. And of course, if you're watching this YouTube video still, whether you're live, 
live or on replay mode, make sure you're smashing that like button so that we can do all of the things. And if you have questions, you have ideas for another thing you want covered in the podcast, definitely leave those in the comments. And of course, you can always hit me up in Twitter at Roberto Blake. I ask every day what you want me to talk about on the podcast. So I give it to you, the audience. I've crowdsourced the podcast to the audience. So there is that. Anyway, I'll catch you next time. If you're live, stay tuned for the Q&A. This episode has ended, but your creative journey continues. Visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show, all designed to help you create something awesome today.